If you're studying for an InfoSec certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the Wanna Practice app. Thousands of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, each aligned with the official exam outline in a fully interactive format. Study by domain or take a simulated full practice exam. All functionality and content is available from any device with a browser or use our new Android app in the Play Store. So if you want to prepare for the CISSP, SSCP, CCSP, CISM, or CISA exam, go to wannapractice.com. Wanna practice. Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fita. And I'm the only one this week who does not have some sort of voice impediment. Um, so, like most weeks, I'm going to carry the show if you all don't mind. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, we, but we wish better health and uh, better locales to all of our panel in the, the very near future. Thank you for being here. Regardless, we love having you, even if um, you, your voices aren't at optimum. That's okay. Um, I want to start this week with a current event. I, I want to talk about, and in Rafti, I'm not so sure this is a thing that y'all do in Australia, um, but... If you ever wanted to contact one of your elected or appointed officials, can you just look up their email address and email them in their Politburo or whatever the hell it is you have for uh, a government? Yeah, I yeah, know. One of the things I hate about our government is we it's almost like in Britain as well, where you technically have one representative, but it is so weird how you never directly vote for them. So it's way less direct and it's way less. Like you don't know who's responsible for you for as a constituent. But if you wanted to like reach out to your mayor, is there an email address yeah. for your mayor or is there an email yeah, yeah. address? Yeah, and I just woke up. Uh, they have sorry. Um they have opening hours. The mayor has opening hours, and I can give him a call as well during that time. Excellent. I like that like, a lot. And and that that makes I think the elected official more responsive to the needs of the constituents, right? I mean, that's that's that should be the way it is. If yeah. they want your vote, then they should listen to your voice, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Matt, have you ever reached out to any of your elected officials? Yeah, I have. Uh, in fact, I... Uh... Well, you're related to most of them, right? I mean... <laughs> Not in the county I live in, but the county I grew up in, yeah. Um, yeah, our, uh, Kentucky actually has uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, and I have not only met him, but I've also sent him faxes. Uh, I, I just threw my fax machine away last week <laughs> because his was one of the only offices that would accept faxes, and that was one way to get through <laughs> to him. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've sent him my thoughts on, on legislation in the past, yes. And, and McConnell was famously Speaker of the House until recently, right? Uh, 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 the Senate, um, majority leader, Senate majority. Yeah. Leader. Yeah. Senate majority okay. leader. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that, and that's cool. And it's great that we can do that. I think, I mean, that I like that idea that, that they're beholden to us now. I don't really feel like my elected officials should be required to have a fax machine. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I remember when I did work in offices that had live faxing, 
what we would mainly get was spam via the fax for buying new toner for the fax machine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but but I do I like the idea of open hours. I like that. Yeah. And realistically, in the U.S. and Rafi, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I have no idea who my state legislator uh, is for my particular district. You know, it just it's it's nothing that in my day to day life has any relevance. Um, uh, but I do know that he shows up in my neighborhood occasionally for, for dinners. They have, um, uh, like a neighborhood potluck where they'll invite everybody in the neighborhood to come and meet and greet and, and, uh, discuss, um, their concerns with him, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's all right. Um, but I can also understand the other side of things. We are a nation of 350 million plus people, many of whom are batshit insane. And, and those are the ones <laughs> that do most of the communicating with elected and appointed officials because they have some ax to grind, no, uh, plenty of time on their hands and no um, work during the day of gainful employment. So they have all the time in the world to harass the living shit out of these people. So while we do, on the whole, publish email addresses, mailing addresses, and phone numbers for most of our elected officials, um, it's very easy to understand that their main email address, which would be, let's say for, you know, just for throwing it out there, first initial last name at dhs.gov. You can imagine that thing gets flooded with the craziest <laughs> shit all the time. And that realistically reading through that, it's not going to be that person who's reading through it. It's going to be some assistant or intern three levels down from them filtering through most of the crap until they find the one thing that needs to be elevated to the person who's the actual recipient of that email. I get that. I totally understand that. However, the practice to deal with this issue of that careful balance of responsiveness to the constituency and avoiding the crazy batshit insane people. The solution that they've come up with for the most part is to create pseudonymous email addresses for those officials that would otherwise be inundated with crap. So they'll use a fake name at dhs.gov. Very famously, our own uh, POTUS, uh, Dark Brandon, has used Robert L. Peters, as well as seven, seven other pseudonyms uh, over the course of his very long government career for various purposes. Now, this does cause some issues. And I'll explain that in just a second, because what I'm bringing up is a current event. A uh, magazine I like called Reason Magazine, and full disclosure, I once wrote an article for them like 10, 15 years ago. Um, they, they issued a FOIA request to a variety of different government agencies asking for the pseudonymous email addresses of various elected and appointed officials as part of a watchdog effort, which I think is reasonable and right to do. And the, the result that sticks in my mind and kind of stuck in Reason Magazine's mind was the uh, Department of uh, Housing and Urban Development, what we, which we call HUD here in the US. HUD, the agency, responded to the FOIA. Oh, and for, for 
just to bring you up to speed, Rafti, FOIA is Freedom of Information Act, which allows oh. anybody in the U.S. to make a request of any government agency to get some information back. Um, and it is taken usually very seriously. In the, the few times I've been a, a federal contractor, every time <laughs> we've gotten a request, no matter how absurd or ridiculous, they were treated uh, with the utmost respect. Um, HUD responded with the pseudonyms of many, many, many appointed and elected officials, except for one, the secretary of the Housing and Urban Development Office, uh, Marsha Fudge. Now, I don't really care if I don't know Marsha Fudge's actual work email that Marsha Fudge is actually using to conduct her actual work. I really don't mind. I don't care. What I do get kind of concerned with is, one, their rationale for not disclosing that, and two, um, the, the problematic issues that come up with not having that information. And here's where I'm going to get into it. The rationale that HUD gave to Reason Magazine was, we're concerned about privacy issues. Now, privacy is kind of used in a broad brush way to kind of hand wave away a lot of things. And that seems like a really stupid thing to say when, <laughs> when you're already talking about one, a very prominent appointed official, someone who should have no private life because they are, by definition, a public figure, one of the most powerful in the country. Two, they gave a whole bunch of other pseudonymous email addresses of people who work at HUD, kind of giving lie to the whole rationale for not giving Marsha's because you don't care about those people's privacy? What, what, you know, privacy is only a concern with, with Secretary Fudge? I mean, it just seems so weird. The third thing that really concerns me is um, the big problem. I, again, I understand avoiding the batshit insane constituency. I get that. Problem is we have several laws in the U.S., and these are good laws, I think, about accountability and about documentation. And they state that all federal communication must be preserved for the historic record so that we can always go back and check and confirm and see. And it's part of transparency too. It's, it's another aspect of, of what we wanted with FOIA, which is allowing uh, sunlight to come in as a disinfectant and observe our government. Well, if we have elected and appointed officials using pseudonyms in their email addresses, are those being documented and ascribed to those <coughs> officials for the purpose of the archive and the documentation. If not, we have a big problem with transparency and accountability. Uh, and if so, well, where's that, where's that Rosetta Stone? How do we know which name matches up to which official? Um, what do you all think about this? Uh, how do you all feel? And of course, during which period would be just to add this right in there as well. Like the Rosetta Stone needs a time component as well, because what happens if somebody else comes later on, that email address has not been used. Either it's one single use only, which at one point creates an issue. It's not scalable. Or you give the same name to another official. That's I, I think that's what you're saying, right? Is if you exactly. give the same email address, right. How do you know who was sending that email at that time? That's a that's an excellent point. You need more than just a one to one relationship. You need uh, the time frame and ascribing of who did what for accountability, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. 
Yeah, to, to Rafti's point, um, the the Twitter handle for President of the United States is a is a rolling Twitter handle that that transfers to the next person who holds that office. And so I would imagine, similarly, uh, for other government officials that hold a certain office, that they have, you know, that that that, that an email account, for instance, rolls over to the next person who holds that office. Um, but yeah, it sounds like a logistics nightmare trying to keep track of all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I have a, a, a very small anecdote. I have a client that had a very famous person that ran it, um, and they had a publicly published email address that uh, was filtered, like you said, by, by basically interns and assistants. And then he had his own private um, email address at, uh, at his company um, that was not publicly published. Uh, but it was also very easy to keep track of because it was just one person in one organization. Uh, and we're talking about in the government, you know, thousands of individuals <laughs> in thousands of different roles that are constantly changing based upon, you know, elections and appointments and stuff like that. So, true, yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a nightmare. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in charge of it, but I assume that someone keeps a master and it, hopefully not in just an Excel spreadsheet of <laughs> person A matches up to email address Y, <laughs> but it might be <laughs> for all it might know. be. And I'm I'm actually fearful. I, I, I suspect something completely different because I have worked in the federal government. I imagine every single office does their own thing. And I imagine it's every, you know, th there's some network administrator who also does not have continuity in that job for long periods of time. That network administrator is just asked, hey, make this new email and point it to this person's, you know, account. I, I, that's my guess. And there's no way to, it's like having zombie cables in your, in your, you know, uh, uh, operation yeah. center. Yeah, exactly. You, you have no idea what connects to anything anymore, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, so so this, this does bother me. I, I really don't like this idea. Again, I yeah. understand the purpose for it, but we got to we got to figure out a better way to do it other than just keep piling on the email addresses. So I have two additional questions then. Um, do you like like do you prefer this answer to them lying? I like that they that they chose to give an honest answer and say for some, whatever reason. And we and this, of course, where you go into like where we want to go into, but before going into what could it be, why why bother with it? I like that they did not lie. I like this a lot, and I respect that. They lied to some extent. They half lied. The okay. pri the privacy answer is like for the dieti. It's like because <laughs> of terrorists. You know what I'm saying? It it it's a way to wiggle out of your own responsibility. Um, I, I would have preferred if they were going to be honest and, and forthright. No, we're not going to give it to you because we don't want you to have it. That would have, okay, I, I still wouldn't have liked that, but I would have respected it more than this bullshit trying to wiggle out of things. But if yeah. they would have said it's boaty face at hut.gov. Uh, whatever, you know, you would not have known, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th I think to Ben's point, yeah, either make it an all or nothing thing. Why is there some arbitrary threshold of this person that reaches some some level where theirs isn't published, but everybody else beneath that level, theirs gets published? Well, that's that's BS. I mean, yeah, either do it all or nothing. <laughs> the, 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 the and, and, I, no and I so agree if, um, and this is my next question, can they choose their handle themselves? Because I have heard stupid, embarrassing email addresses and uh, over the years, you know, 
Um, and I'm like, I so and I hope this person, I don't know whoever that is, um, did not choose something like an embarrassing handle for an official government email. But like in companies, people do sometimes, and maybe they, maybe I don't know, through the careers, they take that with them. I, I have no clue about how this works in the back end. But if you start off as an intern and you assign yourself your funny gamer handle, you know, and then over the years and you rank up and rank up and your funny gamer handle starts becoming less funny. Um, <laughs> I can see yeah. that as an issue. Network therapists start as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am 23 years later, still with this company name. <laughs> And I understand. And you, you could not change it at this at some yes, point. Yes, you can. Look, it, if Arthur Anderson can wiggle out and become, you know, what what is it, Accenture or whatever the hell it is? I mean, there there are ways to figure out how to rebrand. Um, yeah. Nat's just being a little too lazy and coy, and, yeah. and and all he's doing is he's proud that it wasn't Assmaster sixty nine that he chose <laughs> in the first place. That's 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 as far as he's going, right? But again, maybe that person chose something like that for their um like but then we as an electorate should know that <laughs> marcia fudge has really bad taste in user handle i mean you know it, again the the excuse is so mundane it's so crass just get past yourself and let us know what you're just so we can track who you are that is our job as an informed voter base um, you know, we're not going to abuse it. We're not going to spam you with toner sales uh, opportunity for your fax machine. You know, you think so? I think so. I don't know. I think so. I think that's correct. And honestly, I think the kind of annoying pests who would inundate them, they're going to find that shit anyway. This was the this was the same problem with the Cold War and the U.S. and the Soviets keeping secrets. The Soviets knew all the secrets of the U.S. because of Alger James and Robert Hansen. They had the wherewithal to find our secrets. We knew all the secrets of the Soviet Union because of the <laughs> Venona wiretaps and because of our spies and, and our efforts. The only people it was being kept secret from was the various citizenry of both countries. And that's exactly the people who shouldn't be kept in the dark. It, Again, my opinion here. Uh, I, I just think it's a little ridiculous. Plus, it's it's housing and urban development. I mean, it's not like the head of the CIA. You know, I mean, it, who gives a shit? Yes, she should be getting a lot of crappy emails, and she should have to deal with that. Yeah, that's my that's my take on it. All right. Um, next topic. Uh, we have talked on this show. Uh, previously a couple of times about the concept of paper towns. Uh, Rafti, are you familiar with this? Uh, you came in after we had discussed it on the show. I think I am. This is what map makers used to use to protect their intellectual property. Uh, when they published a map, they would add a fake town somewhere um, so that if anyone was copying their maps, that town would appear on it and it would be, you know, a prima facie declaration of intellectual property theft right i have learned that i've done this for myself and i'm very happy about it and proud to see it um uh, i think you both know and and most of our listeners may know i do a lot of writing of uh test prep material to include practice questions 
And uh, a few years ago, when I, when I started my own companies, Wanna Be a and Wanna Practice, I started this uh, habit of when I am writing story problem-based questions, which are the preponderance of my question base, the story problem would involve a particular company called Triffid Incorporated. One, because I like the word, and two, because of homage to the science fiction roots, pun intended. And one of the neat things about this is, you know, in addition to the other reasons I picked Triffid, there is no other company out there called Triffid or the Triffid Company or, you know, Triffids R Us or anything like that. It is a unique element. And that's actually hard to find uh, when you have the Internet. Um, I, I've done story problems where Triffid Incorporated is doing some contract with a software developer or something or a cloud provider. And I've tried to come up with fake names like Cloud Cloud or Soft Soft, you know. But before I publish those, I go online and I look up Cloud Cloud and Soft. And nine times out of 10, those things do exist. People have made companies named those bizarre things. And that goes for a whole bunch of really weird options. Every time I get creative and I try to think of something like ZipZoop, well, there is a ZipZoop and, you know, they're operating somewhere. And so I don't want to, you know, uh, impinge on them. Often because my questions involve them doing something bad. So I have to come <laughs> up with a truly fake company. So what I have learned um, is that in doing a search for Triffid, Inc., or Triffid Corporation, or Triffid Incorporated, my questions show up in all the listings. Yep. And it's great because it's none of my products. It's all the people who've been ripping me off and posting my questions on uh, alternate question platforms, many of which allow revenue share from the public. Anyone can set up a quiz or a test on these platforms. If people use that quiz or that test, the person who posted it gets some uh, micropayment of some sort. Um, this has allowed me to reach out to many of those entities and you know, use the horrible, horrible, utterly disgusting Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown notice in order to protect my, my property. Um, the thing that really amuses me about all of this is that it's rarely one person posting one quiz on a platform. It's usually a hundred or a thousand people posting 10 quizzes each on the same platform with my material. So there's this really interesting aspect here. I could protect my intellectual property by sending a thousand takedown notices to each of these entities. Or I could just play whack-a-mole, randomly sniping at them, or I could ignore it. Um, and I see benefits to all three approaches. Uh, the first one's distasteful because I just ain't got the time to do that. And usually to do that, in order to be legitimate, and this is reasonable, you have to include all of the details for all of the, you know, the URL where the thing is located, description of your ownership, your contact info, you know. And, and it does take some time to submit that form, even if you're using copy pasta. Um, the whack-a-mole approach is a lot of fun. 
because you are sniping at them and somebody on that platform is going, hey, my thing got taken down. And I don't know why. <laughs> Ignoring it, you know, I don't know how much appeal that has. I still want to feel like I'm doing something. And I think that if I totally ignore it, I'm abdicating my ownership rights and I don't like that either. Um, how do you guess that these platforms, which are open to the public and accept any input, how do you think they've been responding to my notices? Well, if they were ethical and good businesses, they would immediately take down your your, your content and say, sorry about that. Uh, we won't let it happen again. Um, and thank you for letting us know. Uh, I would imagine that that's not the way most of these places operate, though. I honestly thought that the same as you, that they'd ignore it or that I'd get more spam once I gave them my contact information. Um, I thought they were all pretty shady. They aren't. They really? all responded in with official letterhead and, you know, we're here's our process. This is what we're going to do. And thank you for letting us know. I was really kind of surprised. Really? One of them, one of them, no shit sent me a how did we do customer service survey after their their engagement cool okay all right yeah yeah um super cool so are you getting revenue share from them now and do the questions stay up or do you take everything down they take it down um okay i don't want them to have the content i don't want revenue share from them I yeah. want exclusivity and I want my own pricing and I want people to use my app, which, yeah. you know, that makes sense. Um, uh, now, again, it's never going to hit all of them. And I've tried to explain to a couple of those entities, hey, if you find any content with Triffid Inc. in it, you could take that shit down because that's mine too. But they understandably are going to be reluctant to that, one, because it puts the work on them, and two, because now they become a publisher, which is not quite the same protections as they get under Section 230 of uh, um, uh, uh, being an online host of content, a public forum. Uh, and also because that's using too broad a brush. If they were to go after a single word, well, maybe somebody in there does have a quiz about the book and movie that I'm referring to when I borrow the name Triffid, right? Um, so that's, I can understand their reluctance to do that and their right to do that as well. Uh, I, I just found it fascinating. And I'm also really proud of how much I've been pirated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's also, yeah, I understand completely. Um, can you register Triffid Inc. as trademark? I could, yeah. I could. Um, I don't want to. I mean, <laughs> um, why? Or maybe just create an corporation. I don't know. Why not corporate? <laughs> one, it's one. It costs money. Okay, so that's one thing. I mean, but how I mean, much? It's a business. It's a business expense, and I could write. Yeah. It. Two. Um, uh, I, I'm not the progenitor of the word itself. Uh, again, I'm borrowing that it I from understand. the novelist. Um, so I want to respect that to a certain extent anyway, even though it's being used in a different form and I could ostensibly trademark it in that form. Um, I'm paying homage 
so I, I I don't really feel distinct ownership of the word. I feel the distinct ownership of the questions I've written using that word. So the I word understand. is just the paper town. The questions are my map that I've created using the paper town. So yeah, I'm I'm not so concerned about trademarking the town itself. But it could be maybe another angle, you know. I guess it could. It could be a shortcut to telling them, hey, you're all using my trademark inappropriately. Yeah. Eh, that's that's worth considering. That's worth considering. This makes me think that I need to to uh to do a, a business filing myself and, and do a DBA Triffid Incorporated for network therapists, and then I can send you you could sue me for defamation because of all the things that I say in my questions. Triffid does awful things. So, yes. Triffid's got lots of problems. I, they, they, they keep hiring CISSPs and they still have problems. <laughs> Literally thousands of problems. They just, yeah, they, they really suck it. It makes you wonder how they stay in business, right? Yeah. 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 All right. I can't well, tell good. if they have any any actual revenue stream that's from any marketable uh, good or service. <laughs> Everybody's just running around plugging cables into the wrong places and uh, misconfiguring uh, network ports. And taking on so much liability for all of the rules and regulations that they're violating, plus yeah. social mores and, and industry norms. It's just pretty awful. Yeah. Um, and a few of them have a drunk guy named Matt who keeps fucking everything up, too. I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> having ha having been, uh, I guess, a, a, a reviewer of some of your questions and some of the banks of uh, tests that you've done. Yeah, it's, I always look for little Easter eggs of people that we know, and I've seen my own name in there a couple of times. <laughs> yep, more than once. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, cool. Uh, now, Rafti, you had something you wanted to bring to us this week. You want to tell us about you.com. And when I say you, it's it's Y-O-U. That's, that's uh, YankeeOscarUniform.com, uh, not just the letter U. But go ahead. Uh, tell that's us, true. what is, what is you.com? I have no idea what the hell that is. It is actually a search engine. And when I first heard it, I was also very like, what is that domain? How much must this domain have cost? That was my first question. And you're saying you.com. I, I don't know what would be more expensive, just a letter U or like spelled out you.com. I, I, I don't know. Don't they? Uh, I, I think it's now required. Uh, what, what's the name of the, the outfit that does this? Um, I think they require now at least three letters, three characters for the URL. Yeah. I think the last two character URL that they allowed was AA.com for American Airlines. That, that's the way I remember it. I don't know. Ask X.com. I, I cannot tell you. <laughs> okay. All right. Because Twitter now is just X.com and it works. You I didn't realize. Okay. Okay. It resolves. Okay. It resolves to twitter.com, but yes. Um, so you.com, it's a search engine. Um, and the reason why I looked into it is because it was one of the default search engines in a browser I'm currently trying, which is Vivaldi. Um, and there, and they also have been like one of the, I think the founder or at least the CEO, current CEO of you.com was a guest on a podcast I'm listening to, Decoder uh, from The Verge. And uh, they had an interesting um, twist to search engines that they use GPT-4 when you're a subscriber. And you can ask and quiz the search engine for what you're actually searching about. Uh, and it will do okay. web searches. Right. And again, I have to clarify, like I did with you.com. 
when you say GPT-4, do you mean that's how they were using GPT or it's GPT, the number four, the fourth version of ChatGPT? GPT, the number four, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, if you sorry, use ChatGPT um, for free, then it's 3.5. And you can pay 20 euro, uh, 20 bucks per, per month to get a GPT-4 access. And you.com gotcha. okay. is only 10 euros uh, per month. So it's it's cheaper. So you're already getting a $10 rebate on ChatGPT <clears throat> in addition to the search engine capability. Exactly, exactly. And, and he said that that is some of the reason why some people are using the service. Um, but for my sort of like getting into it, um, I thought, okay, I'll give it a try and I give it a try at its best side. I'm going to pay that 20 euros per month. I'm not, I would not be sure if I would continue uh, paying for that, but I'm currently paying 20 euros per month for GPT-4 from ChatGPT directly anyway. So I was like, okay, let's let's give this a try. Let's give this a spin. And I tried it for at least a week now, a, a little bit longer. And um, I was very impressed at the beginning, which was the reason why I paid them. Uh, typically, when I do something, I just put one word in the search bar and then look at the results just to check if the if it actually works. And when it Does started, it have like the predictive uh, suggestion suggestions, exactly. like a lot of the modern ones do. Absolutely, and it goes okay. steps further where it tells you. Um, uh, actually from Miriam Webster, it took the paragraphs and told me how to pronounce that word and stuff like that, which I liked a lot. Um, I was not, uh, this is much more than I typically get from Google or from, from Brave Search or DuckDuckGo, which I'm currently moving away from or looking to replace. <clears throat> and so it is, I was very impressed by the first search. Uh, and so I was like, okay, this sounds like a sound investment. I'm going to try using it for longer. Um, but it turned bad fairly quickly. Um, it, it's, if you're interested, give it a spin. Um, I'd say it is. I'm less not useful. interested, but I want to hear about how it went bad very quickly. Okay. So that's, um, that's the, you, you've, you've twitched my purient interest here. And, <laughs> so it showed it's best if you're Rocky. doing, if you're doing just word searches, if you're clueless about a language, if you're clueless about a single word then it might be cool to get um, stepping stones where it can jump off from fairly quickly. But as soon as you have a very narrow question, the, the GPT-4 integration does not help at all. Um, it's less helpful than asking GPT, chat GPT itself with the GPT-4 capabilities, I feel, because with chat GPT, you, I can open different tabs very quickly and ask it different um, paths so I get a broader prospect very quickly. And with how you.com is doing it, you only get one window into it and it's very narrow and you hit a dead end very quickly where it's uh, becoming, where it loses sort of like where you're coming from. It just everything. says, I don't know that or- <clears throat> No, it's- it's getting into granularity, it, it, it drops the thread of the yes. questions you were asking to get to that point? Exactly, exactly. So the usefulness- Why do you think then, that is? I, I don't know. Has it just not been populated with concepts yet? Is that it? Maybe. Uh, maybe that's the thing as well. Um, with ChatGPT, I'm just 
don't go down that deep usually. Um, this is a known issue with large language models that as, as you go, they get worse um, and they start hallucinating more. Um, and I heard a great thing where somebody said when he was asked about uh, what does he think about those hallucinations, he's like, that's what is the sort of like creative spark in them. Um, and that he likes because like just reciting stuff from the internet, that's what search engines already can do. But like with the, some bit of hallucination is good. But as you said, like it loses the thread um, as uh, the deeper that you go into so having many attempts with the same question or and you just refine the uh, refrain like um, not refrain refine the initial question um, it's much better and so ChatGPT allows you to do that much faster easier and better I'd say also you can train a bot with it where it keeps a certain amount of basic context at all times and I found it much more useful and you.com okay. loses so most of that stuff. I got to ask, when you get to that intellectual cul-de-sac of where it just doesn't know anything anymore and it's doing its hallucinations, does it ever <laughs> say, I'd like to give you that information, but I can't because of privacy concerns? No. <laughs> but maybe they should start training it. on. So, so at least responses. it's superior to the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development. Okay. It is. All right. Well, good. It I'm, is. Glad, I'm glad to hear that. So. If you ever are interested, and the reason maybe that to clarify that for the listeners as well, I'm actually looking into a search engine, which is not uh, trying to um, make money off of my searches, but make money through different means. Um, and just paying them outright is something I'm I'm interested in. And I looked into DuckDuckGo as well. You cannot pay them directly for something. You could pay Brave Search, but I'm I'm not that sure about Brave Search at the moment. Let's let's keep it like that. And um, so I'm looking, and I, I Kagi I think is one of them, uh, the paid ones. I I will look into next. But yeah, who knows? Well, U.S. Okay. Com is just not for me. And if you're and interested think... in GPT four, give it a try, but spend the twenty bucks on ChatGPT. It's much better. I think the the our audience, and I know I um are going to benefit greatly from your experimentation so please keep coming back and keeping us informed with with your research into the various <laughs> search engines that that's very worthwhile there are you are very much an aberrational minority in the fact that you're willing to pay for a search engine in order to avoid the other intrusiveness that most of us take for granted um so that that's a very useful thing and we would like to promote that and hear more about it thank you thank you for being the the crash test dummy for the rest of us. Rafti, I have a, a quick question of the of a philosophical nature. If Google offered an opt out, if you paid a monthly subscription to opt out all of all their their privacy harvesting, uh, data harvesting stuff like that, would you pay Google? Great question. Um, I'm paying for YouTube Premium. Mm -hmm. so, 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 so you're you're already okay with with giving uh, Alphabet a certain amount of money every month. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and not that little. YouTube Premium is not that cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's like $70 a month or $80 a month or something. $70 a month? Yeah. It, it's less around here. I think I'm paying about 30 Oh, no, no, no. Hang on. I'm, I'm thinking of YouTube TV. Uh, yeah, they have YouTube TV, YouTube Premium, then the free YouTube, which Fuck is... Yeah. me. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube TV is more expensive. I'm not sure yeah. if it's available around here, but YouTube Premium. Um, yeah, just ad-free YouTube. Um, and and I'm and this is philosophical as well. I I'm using ad blockers almost everywhere, 
but I pay for the the services which I use. So typically like the newspapers I read frequently, YouTube and stuff like that. But I, I just, I hate seeing ads. <laughs> and if I can, I, I like uh, spending directly just so that they get compensated. I'm going to start putting ads in the middle of our show so that Rafti pays us. <laughs> <laughs> for the version for the raw version that doesn't have the ads in it um which yeah, some podcasts yeah. do some podcasts have yeah, patron yeah, no, only no, no, rss feeds and, and i'll listen to them and i'll fast forward sometimes and sometimes i won't it's easy and i was raised with advertising so it's easy enough for me to tune it out i don't even hear the ads matt i, I imagine you're the same way yeah yeah i grew um, up on network tv i had four channels growing up so yeah ad commercials were were a part of life so and of course, those commercials did not watch you. Um, those yeah. commercials did not track you. And this is the whole thing why I'm like with podcast ads, it's it's not that bad. But of course, uh, with search engines, they are they they make pennies, like fractions of a penny on each click. So they need to target you because then the the click through rate is higher, and um, then they actually make money. And so I understand and. Having like ten ten dollars per month would be okay for me, but I, yeah, it's not a service I would recommend, even though it has GPT four capabilities. Um, again, if you're interested, and it is much better GPT four, I can already tell you, um, it's much better than GPT three point five. Um, I I thought GPT three point five. What? Why? I don't care. But um, I sometimes, uh, like during the show, and you all know this, I sometimes just put in the question as it has been asked live, and it gives me responses and very detailed, and it goes looking well, on Rafi, the Well, Rafi, for only five euros a month, you can ask me any question you want. <laughs> At any point. <laughs> and, when we, and when we get down a conversational <laughs> rabbit hole, I'll be a hell of a lot more creative <laughs> with my hallucinations than any chat GB. I am a perfect chaos agent, and... and much better than chat gpt4 i i will enlighten and delight you how's that super you know, cool <laughs> i i actually think this is why walter spielman keeps paying us is because we don't have ads so you know that that's probably it. thank you walter uh we we appreciate that we'll, yeah, we'll make the show any format you want um all right well cool very cool uh now this week we have a new segment that the show is rolling out a wonderful feature called I'm so old. <laughs> In this feature, Matt and I will say, I'm so old that I remember when, and then we'll name something from the IT or tech or security history that we lived through. And Rafti, being the youngest member of our cohort, will have to make two determinations. One, <clears throat> whether he's heard of that thing before ever in any context and two if he's not heard of it whether the thing we're talking about is true or we just made it up to mess with him uh you, you ready for this rafty absolutely all right and, and for those of you listening if you want to try to stump rafty on future uh installments of this feature email me or matt not rafty of course uh and we'll <laughs> we'll we'll mess with him a bit 
Um, Matt, did you already have a couple queued up in the chamber ready to go for this? Um, I, I was just racking my mind. I, I, I had a couple of them. Uh, I know one for sure. I do want to point out, though, Rafti needs to be holding his hands up so that we can see them, so that he he cannot ask chat GPT why <laughs> will we ask him these questions, <laughs> since he's already admitted that he does look up stuff in real time while we're talking. <laughs> Show me your hands. Show me your hands, Fiedler. Fiedler. All right. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I, 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 I've got two. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead. Go first. You go first. Yeah. So the first one I have is a thing that is called the turbo button on two eighty sixes and three eighty sixes in particular, maybe four eighty sixes. And this is back early nineties to mid nineties. There was a turbo button on the computer. So you had a power button, you had a reset button, usually two separate buttons, and then there was usually a turbo button. And my question to Rafi is. Do you know what it is and what it does? Yeah, yeah, I I think I do. Um, I heard about You've this. Heard of I this think before? I, I heard of this before. Yeah, yeah. I was not sure about what architecture or anything. I was aware that it was. I 90s. had a three eighty six, and I've never heard of this before. But I, you know, I never look at my keyboard. I just type. So go ahead. And the funny thing is, I think it actually it says turbo on it, but I think it even reduces clock speed when you hit it. As far as I can, uh, if, if I remember correctly, because it was making space or room for something else to to take priority. So it was typically what I think if I see a turbo on a GPU or something today, I'd, I would think it would increase clock speed. But I think it did the reverse, but I'm not sure why. Can, can I ask, Matt? Because, again, I haven't heard of this. Um, does it uh, assign more RAM? temporarily to that thing that you happen to have the open window on is is that what it's doing um no because again keep in mind this is back in the days of 640k you you're, we were we were measuring ram in kilobytes right right had nothing to do with ram and also had nothing to do with windows because we didn't have windows operating systems or i mean we we did very early versions of windows yeah, I, I had 3.1 that i had to load by disk every time i wanted to use it which i never used i just did command line but yeah. go ahead yeah. But yeah, so Rafti is correct. It has to do with the clock speed. And the reason that you had that button was, was uh, yeah, when the button was engaged and the turbo light was on, it was running at its fully rated clock speed. And when you press the button to turn it off, it slowed down the CPU clock speed. And the reason for that was for backwards compatibility, because certain programs, if they ran at a higher clock speed, would get out of sync, would cause all kinds of weird errors and stuff like that. So you would hit the button on the CPU box to slow down your computer so that your your whatever application you were running could run in its normal state and not in some uh, weird uh, super fast state. But the default was on. This was what I yeah. was not aware. The default yeah. was when you boot it up, it is on and you hit it to reduce yeah. the clock speed. So what I what I said was partly correct, but I was not aware yeah. of the state change into a direction. Yeah. No. yeah, you were correct. It has to do with clock speed. But uh, Okay. <laughs> and most people never bothered to learn what it did. And and it, it was a very small subset of applications that were really affected by it. And But it, yeah, again, it had to do with backward compatibility. So if you had like a the latest and greatest 386 and it needed to run like an 8086, uh, you'd hit the turbo button and it would it would slow it down. And it was live? Like you could do yeah. the, why? That is interesting. Because I yeah, think today, was... typically, like they, you can do it in software. But like physical buttons live, I think are not a thing anymore in regards yeah. to boosting and so on. <clears throat> the switch on, on a GPU, just for anybody listening who's interested in this, does not do anything while uh, the GPU is on. 
if you would switch to switch on a GPU, you would have to restart your PC to actually load the different bias. That's <clears throat> that's really awesome. Thank you, Matt. That's a good one. That's a that's a deep pull. Super cool. I, I'm impressed. Okay, mine is not nearly as cool as that, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl. <clears throat> Rafti, at one point in our technological history, uh, one of the major providers of computers, printers, copiers was named after male genitalia. Okay. I have no clue. Okay, good. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> I, I got to stump him first. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. It was originally called Wang Laboratories. Uh, Wang? And, uh, Wang. And eventually became Wang Global. And they were, oddly, the first... <laughs> IT company to have a Super Bowl ad, which was, you know, the hallmark of making it. They had revenues at one point of $3 billion in a year, 33,000 employees, um, but it was not actually named after male genitalia. It was named after one of the founders on Wang, um, but who along like with what, his partner, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I'm who, just curious, along, where are they today? Along with his partner, G.Y. Chu, they established um, this company in 1954. And uh, fascinating characters. Uh, Wang himself is kind of a genius, had multiple patents over the years, um, did some really extraordinary things for our industry, um, and was evidently a very driven individual and, and you know, really built this thing from the ground up from almost nothing uh, with a, a $50,000 capital loan from uh, another company not in the IT industry um, that, that he knew of. So it's just a, a true badass. What happened was, and, and there are many, many stories and there's books and Wang himself wrote a, uh, an autobiography. Um, Wang had a vision of a uh, aristocratic uh, empire of technology where his sons and his son's sons would take over the business in perpetuity and, and run it as a dynasty. Uh, unfortunately, what we know of nepotism is that it doesn't always work so well. And especially in the IT sector, when things evolve so rapidly that it's hard to just keep track of things over decades. Uh, so uh, by the uh, 80s and 90s, when Wang had handed off the presidency of the company to his son, who was in his early 30s, his son, even though his son had a business degree and was a very smart man in and of his own right, was just utterly unprepared to run a global IT outfit, not understanding the technology, not understanding the market. And with all credence to Wang Jr., the industry was churning so quickly that even established players were falling out and, and dropping by the wayside. So it, it's not, I don't want to place blame in his hands either. But um, in doing so, Wang Sr. created an atmosphere of... Uh, decreased morale, people who felt they'd been passed over, had been with the company for longer than his son had been with the company, knew more about the industry, had more capabilities in the technology, and that caused some difficulties. Uh, plus, they made a couple of wrong calls on which avenues of technology to pursue 
instead of just focusing on the microcomputers and following that, like, a, you know, some of the bigger players did, um, <clears throat> they ended up filing bankruptcy. They renamed to Wang Global. Eventually, they sold uh, the company to Getronics of the Netherlands in 1999, and then that was sold to KPN in 2007 and CompuCom in 2008. I don't even know if they still exist anymore in any incarnation, uh, but it was a major player and it, it was a, a recognized thing. It was all over the place. Matt, you you remember Wang, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, in, in fact, it was making me think back to, you, you mentioned microcomputers uh, back in the days of mini computers and big iron mainframes and stuff like that. Wangs were usually the terminal makers. So you'd have a terminal that didn't necessarily have a CPU RAM like a, like a computer like you think about now. And it connected via a, a hard line back to that, that mainframe. Um, it, the, the reason I thought about it is because when I was a student at the University of Kentucky, uh, we had what were called TTYs, and they were the green screen terminals, basically, that would go back into the main uh, computer mainframes that we would uh, do programming projects on and stuff like that. So, and 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 that's how I remember Wang's. Uh, they're they're the manufacturer of those terminals mostly. Uh, that's how I remember them. Yep. Yep. So they uh, built the the cathodes and everything like the screens as well, because you said like microchips. So they really diversified. They could have I, I don't know how many like... of the parts they sourced or how much they fabricated, but but you know okay. they were yeah they were they were a major player. The uh, uh, small little side note at the University of Kentucky, the, there's a an office tower called the Patterson Office Tower, and it's always abbreviated POT. And Patterson Office Tower had a uh, a, a terminal lobby where they had about a dozen of these uh, terminals to get onto the computers. So those were the TTYs. So you had the POT. TTYs, the potties. And so everybody always joked that it was the potties. <laughs> I gotta go potty is what you would say. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, you take your wang to the potty. All right, so Matt, you said you had another one. I do have another one, and it's another hardware one. Go ahead. Let's, let's, I know we're going a little long. If either of you have to drop, we can. But uh, let's do one more and and. And yeah, I'll try to keep this one quick. So um, back in the days of the 386s, um, 486s were very expensive. I can remember 386s being the, more, the much more reasonable choice for buying a computer. But the 486s, you could do all kinds of uh, better and newer stuff. There was a company called Cyrix, C-Y-R-I-X, that offered an upgrade for your 386. It had, <laughs> and it was a chip that you could buy that would actually snap on over top of your 386. And it would make okay. it run like a 486. Uh, when you say snap on, you mean like on the board? Or... Yes, on the motherboard. So you'd crack open the case. Okay. And you would snap on this chip. That would be a couple of hundred dollars, but uh, it was still much less than a, than a 486 would be. Have you ever heard of this, Rafi? And 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 no. do you believe that this is that this actually no. was useful technology? <laughs> I'm not sure. I I don't even know whether 386. I, I assume it's just like one of those old CPUs which were soldered in, and I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I they, can't they, imagine. They, 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 they went into a socket, but uh, um, yeah, they were uh, the predecessors to the Pentiums and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so it's the same thing, like with the with the uh, pins on the bottom and then the lever that's mm -hmm. closing then I don't think that um, this is even possible. Like, how can it 
interact with it if it has the the heat spreader on top and everything like then it would be like snake oil where you just like put some crystals in your in your computer to make it to make the energy waves runs faster i don't know <laughs> you're improving the karma of the machine exactly um, exactly Matt, I, I don't think I've ever remembered that. I was not as much of a hardware guy. I do remember plugging in a lot of cards and playing with a lot of dip switches and pins and shit. Um, yeah. And that was always a pain in the ass, whether it was a modem or, you yeah. know, if you wanted to add a voice uh, uh, modulator to it or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah, that's all. Pr yeah, prior to plug and play, you had to manually configure IRQs and uh, uh, stuff like IO bases and stuff like that. So, anyways, yeah. So, Cyrix was a real company, and they did actually make this real chip that was a snap-on, speed-up chip for your 386. And did it actually work? Um, it did not. It, it, it approached 486 speeds. It wasn't a true 486, but it did. It would uh, get much quicker. And uh, so rather wow. than going out and throwing away your 386 and buying a brand new 486, you could upgrade your 386. And you, and you mentioned the cooling and stuff like that. Keep in mind, Rafti, 386s, you didn't have to have special cooling on them. You didn't even have to have, to have a, a, a cooling block made of aluminum with fins on it. You didn't have to have that because these things didn't run that hot. They didn't get that hot. <laughs> okay. So it was the cooling. Box itself, the box itself gave it a lot of shelter. I mean, if you could put a small cat inside of one of those boxes. I mean, they were they were pretty substantial, and they were heavy as hell. Yeah, but it yeah. was a socketed chip, so you could replace it. It, it. And yeah, you would keep your 386, but this chip actually would snap on over top of it, and it had pins that would go in and touch the uh, the correct pins, and it would make your 386 run closer to a 486 not as not at a true 486 speed but it was it was a uh, much higher speed and so it was a, a a an economical way to get get more speed out of your your old where computer. where would the pins go i don't understand where i'm trying to remember because we actually in my very first it job we had 386s that we upgraded with cyrix's and i'm trying to remember how it even looked i'm, I'm sure you can look it up online c-y-r-i-x um, and you pushed it inside the cpu it it yeah, I wish I could remember. <laughs> I <never laughs> but it, it sounds so amazing, like stuff yeah. like that. It's it's deleting what you do today, but like soldering stuff onto the, the substrate, you know? It's like, because sometimes people still delete and remove the heat spreader. And I, I guess this was some some plastics surrounding the chip, what you're talking about. And you would push it. You would have to contact I, I wish the, I looking the, it up. the fast math chip offered up to 50% more performance. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> huh. And then they and then they had these products called 486 SLC and 486 DLC pin compatible <laughs> with the 386. Huh. And they had a chip replacement, I don't remember. It may, I think that may have been. That that makes sense. That makes I, yeah, because I was remembering it as something that snapped on over top. But I, re I remember that it was bigger than a normal 386, but maybe it fit into this. It just fit into the 386 socket. But uh, yeah, anyways, the Super good, interesting. Good days of, uh, of uh, hardware. And uh, yeah, Cyrix made a lot of money and then they disappeared because the Pentiums came out and the Pentium used a completely different form factor. Um, and, and, and CPUs were just taking off and there was no point in trying to upgrade you know, by 50%, you know, speed, uh, you know, something like a Pentium or, 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 or faster. Because there was nothing you could run that would be faster, that, that you would need that extra capacity. Yeah. yeah. 
but uh, yeah, there were. Uh, uh, I remember playing the, the video game X Wing, uh, and uh, if you had a Cyrix mod on there, you could actually get some more graphics and better better resolution out of uh, X Wing without having to go through getting a four eighty six. So <laughs> anyway, when some I was... of the weirdness of the of the mid nineties uh, <laughs> that was going on with the hardware. We actually had a box full of those, dis like three point five uh, discs, um, with uh, X Wing at home. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, was it ten or something like that? Ten it different. A lot of discs. But the thing yeah. with X Wing was, if you lost the manual, you couldn't play it anymore because it had a uh, anti piracy, where it would when you started it up, it would ask you what word is on what page. <laughs> yeah, Ben's got a copy of X Wing in a box. <laughs> Oh, you got the CD-ROM. You got the you got the later version. I, I got the yeah, and it's got like everything in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already all unlocked. But yeah, if you lost the manual, the anti-piracy was based on the manual pulling a word off of a certain page, and you couldn't play your game anymore unless somebody. And, and they even printed the manual um, in a certain ink that couldn't be photocopied. It was a light blue ink that could not be photocopied. So you actually had to go out and buy another copy or find somebody with a copy of it. Or just invent the internet and now download it as a PDF, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you, Matt. Those are those were two really good. Mine's very mediocre. That was those were two very good installments. I'll have to think of better ones. Uh, and again, uh, for our listeners, if if you like this feature, let us know. If you want to hear more of it, let us know. Um, I think Rafti enjoys the challenge and likes hearing about the history of how zany we were back in the 90s. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it was the Wild West, that's for sure. Well, excellent. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, anything you want to share with the audience about? Anything coming up or anything business-wise? No, no changes on my end. Down here either at the moment. Rafi, Rafi, I'm still waiting on this new product of yours, though. Um, I know, I know. Forward to it. We're I working on it. The, the NDA, Ben, uh, and and Rafi has promised me that I get to see, you know, and be a part of this. And still, nothing. These these Austrians, <laughs> they they got too much vacation time. Can't trust them. <laughs> Can't true. trust them at all. They're they're like Canadians in that respect. Um, no. All right. We, it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you're in the southeastern United States uh, this week, go ahead. Be very careful about uh, the weather and responding. Therefore, um, uh, stay indoors, stay warm, stay safe. Uh, we all want to have you back again the following week for our next episode. Until then, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Rafael Fiedler. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out 
or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.